Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, we begin a new sermon series in the book of 1 John. Pastor Andy teaches a sermon titled, For Our Joy. Jesus knows all the dark places in your heart and in your behavior, and still he comes for you. Still he pursues you. Still he chooses you with all the love and hope and mercy and grace heaven can provide. Confess and be forgiven. Be vulnerable and experience fellowship and joy. Jesus left heaven for you, has died for your darkness, and his greatest desire is to love you and see you healed. Do not delay. Take the risk to be honest with Jesus about what's happening in your life, and you will experience true fellowship and joy with him. Uh, If you've never been to our church before, uh, welcome. We believe in three things that we see this in Scripture. It happens all the time. This doesn't happen in a particular order. These are just things that are happening over and over and over again. First, there's always hope beyond our brokenness, always. There's never a moment when uh, God is done with you. God just throws up his hands and said, I've had enough. Never. God is always, always sending out an army to find you, to fight for you, to kick down any wall that you've put up, to overcome any kind of mountain or obstacle in your life to reach you with love and hope and joy. And so we're a community not bound by our pretending to be perfect. We're a community bound by our vulnerability to say, this is my brokenness and this is where God has me from going from dead to alive, from lost to found. Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. Trusting in Jesus is the best roller coaster ride on earth. You will freak out. You will not be in control. You will have all kinds of concerns and worries. And you will end up in a place far beyond anything you could ever imagine. Trusting Jesus is not just trusting an idea because he's alive, he's risen. And he's here. That's what faith is. It's putting your whole weight of your life in his capable hands and learning together as a community to ask him, Jesus, what next? What now? Jesus, bring your will and your kingdom in this place. And then finally, we get to bring restoration. So you did that right now. You put money in a bucket, and then Donette is going to give it away. And over and over and over again, we've seen this in our church. Uh, Somebody a while ago gave a generous donation to our change for a dollar bucket. And and so the pastors now have the ability to, when an an immediate need comes up, we can give it. So we took our, we took this change for a dollar. I took change for a dollar for the first time. And I went, uh, our, our server down at Red Robin has just been, down in Santa Maria, I don't know if you guys know Red Robin, started in Seattle, it's close to my heart, burgers and fries, and uh, amazing shakes. And so this, the server we've had has been there for years, uh, we've had her for a year, her name's Brandy. And uh, last year at this time, she was just a wreck, and it, was, it just felt like there was just this blanket of sadness and sorrow over her. So we asked her last week, you know, hey Brandy, it's good to see you, and how are you doing? And she said, well, you know, she was wearing a button that says, it's my birthday today. And uh, I said, oh, you're working for your birthday? And she said, yeah, but it was better than last year's birthday. Uh, last year's birthday, I was at a funeral. So we thought, you know what, we're going to take 
Brandy the change for a dollar bucket. So we show up and we give her the change for a dollar bucket and uh, give her a card with the money in it and say, you're going to want to open this. This is from the church. And she opens it. And, and I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you pull out multiple $100 bills from the ATM, they kind of stick together. So she saw one and she's like, oh, and then they sort of started sliding down. And then she just burst into tears and she sat in our booth and she told us a story about how last year at this time she was at a memorial for a 13-year-old, the daughter of her best friend who had died from a fentanyl overdose. One year ago, last weekend, you raised over $6,000 for a mom who lost a 13-year-old who died from a fentanyl overdose. Same family. And now... This mom's best friend, who's been in shambles for over a year, single mom with three kids, sat there weeping. And we talked to her about if she needed Christmas presents or if she needed back to cool school stuff. Or she said, I really want to move out, but I don't have any furniture. And I said, we got you covered. We got warehouses full of furniture right now, right? I don't know if you know this, but the Inn at the Pier in Pismo Beach has just donated to us all of their furniture. We literally have warehouses full of furniture. Unbelievable. She's just weeping with joy, weeping that she couldn't be. We went back to there this weekend, and she's just like, hi. <laughs> she might never set foot in the doors of this church, but we know that we are called to bring restoration into her life. You have a purpose, and God has a plan for you, and you are designed to be used to bring heaven into people's hell, and you do that so well. So that's what we believe as a church, and each one of these truths of hope and of trusting God and bringing restoration has a choice that we have to make. That word to choose weighs about 1,000 pounds in your life. You get to choose to follow Jesus. So let's declare together our choice, our powerful choice today to follow him this day again. Let's read this and declare this together. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. So, you guys, Paul did an amazing job laying in the book of Acts. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Now we're going to read the Johns, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You can read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in about 18 minutes, okay? These are not long books. We will not be in them for months and months and months, but they are amazing. And probably the passage that you know the best that comes from today, which is 1st John 1, which is if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want you to know that there's more verses in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John than that. And so today I have a question for you, which is, can I speak to your heart of hearts? Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Well, good. <laughs> you guys, I love you so much. I'm so grateful for you. God's doing incredible work. Well, thank you, Victoria. So who's John? John was the only kid in Jesus' youth group. I think that's for a reason for every youth ministry in the history of humanity, every youth minister, every youth pastor. I don't know, I don't know if you guys know this, but youth ministry is, is, a, 
is a ministry of hope. Like nothing happens in youth group ever, in any youth group across all time, right? The kids are just awful <laughs> all the time, right? And then we throw 20-something-year-olds in there and wonder why they burn out in two years or three years. It's absolutely incredible. I love our youth group. Half our kids don't even know Jesus. It's exactly the way it should be. Pray for our youth group on Tuesday. Pray that they would know Jesus. Pray for protection for Zed and Denise and his amazing team. So John was the only kid in, in Jesus' youth group. He's one of the 12 disciples. On the Last Supper, he's the one who rests his head against Jesus' chest. He was the only disciple present at the crucifixion. When Jesus is on the cross, he looks down at Mary. He goes, Mom, this is your new son. So that on the day when Mary lost her child, she would get another child. John and Mary are going to spend the rest of their life living next to each other. John and Mary will travel together when Christians are kicked out of Jerusalem about a year and a half later, when the persecution really starts ramping up after Saul stoned Stephen to death. We read that in Acts 28 weeks ago. You remember. (laughs) They're going to move to Antioch. Antioch is the ancient name of the modern Turkish town called Antichus. There was another earthquake there this last week. It's the epicenter epicenter of the earthquake in Turkey right now. It's the ancient city of Antioch. It's where Christians were first called Christians. That's Antioch. John and Mary would spend time there. They would later go to Ephesus, which is in the west coast of of Turkey. And um, there they would plant the church uh, with a guy, uh, John was a little bit older then. He was in his early 20s. So John and another early 20-year-old guy named Timothy, along with Mary, would plant the church in Ephesus. Paul would then, 10 years later, come and spend a couple of years in Ephesus and help them grow leaders and write the book we now call Ephesians. Uh, we know from early church historians that John writes these letters that we're reading now when he's about 70 years old. Um, the book of Acts ends around AD 65. John is writing both his gospel at that time and these letters uh, about 10, anywhere from about 10 to 10, 12 years later, AD 80 or 85. So, uh, if you are over my age, then um, when you got some years under your belt and things start hanging over your belt, um, <laughs> when you raise your kids, when you start to see your grandchildren arrive, um, you start to see things that you can never see when you're young. Somebody say amen. amen. Um, you know what you can fix and you know what you can't, yeah? <laughs> Somebody says sort of. I love it. That's honest. Um, You know what's important and what's not, right? You can say the phrase, I've seen trouble and this ain't it, (laughs) right? Uh, John is writing this letter with incredible wisdom. There is literally a 50-pound word in every sentence. Each phrase is measured and deliberate. So when you have some wisdom and you have some perspective and you have some understanding, What's the most important thing that you want to communicate to your next generation, to your kids and your grandkids, to your friends, to the young, young, young people coming up? What's the most important thing that you want to communicate with them? 
Yeah, I mean, you tell them how to handle their money? Maybe. Tell them how to navigate work? Relationships? Probably. Each one of those are specific to individuals. How do you communicate to a group as a whole? What would you say to your family as a whole? John wants to tell us how to heal our souls. John wants to show us how to grow closer to each other and to Jesus. John wants to increase our joy. John wants us to grab hold of Jesus and never let go. That's what John wants. So can we pray real quick? Again, Jesus, we bind up and mute anything opposed to you that's here. We cast you off of us now in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for your protection. We say to our own souls, awaken, O my soul. Lord, open our ears and our eyes and our hearts to you. Do you guys agree? Okay, are you ready to read together 1 John 1? Here we go. Let's read it out loud. Are you ready? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John's first talking about Jesus. Jesus is someone he's heard. He's someone he's touched. And now John has something to say about Jesus, who is the word of life. John is telling us a couple things here which are really important. The Greek uh, for word is logos. So psi, psi, kal, logos, right? It's words about your psyche, psychology, okay? Biology, words about bios or life. Make, make it a sense? Yes, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Great. Okay? Uh, logos is the idea in the Greek world of absolute truth. So it's a logic or words or truth that corresponds to reality. Um, think about it, logos, in, in terms of, of this. All of us have misunderstood how things work. And what's the result when you didn't when you don't, haven't got it figured out and you totally missed the boat, what's the result? Starts with a P, ends with an A, or N has an A and an I in it. It's called pain, right? It's one of the most effective educational measures in human history. And so we, you know, we grow up, and then in our 30s, if we got married in our 20s, we think, oh, wait, codependency in all relationships um, 100% of the time results in pain. Huh. I'll learn about boundaries. Some of you are going, what's that? <laughs> You're in pain and we love you. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, at some point in our life, we figure out, oh, no, uh, avoiding or hiding or delaying makes everything twice as difficult. Some of us will figure out, oh, no, wait, uh, greed and pride destroy everything that I've built. And we've, we think, oh, no, um, you know, we kind of figure this stuff out as we encounter the pain of our misunderstanding or our mistakes. I'll never forget driving with my grandfather and him telling me that old people are cranky because they finally figured out how to live well and the young people are too prideful to listen and the old people are too tired to change. <laughs> my grandfather was not an optimist, nor did he know Jesus. 
So what do we do as Christians once we discover that our logic or our logos is off, our thinking is off, our living is off? Well, as Christians, we want to live and find, we want to find and live in the truth. We want to think well. We want our thoughts to line up with reality and truth and then live in a way that leads to life. Does that make sense? So transformation then first starts with unlearning, or in other words, identifying the lives that we've believed so that we can toss them out of our lives. This is why we do in our church called exchange work, bad out and good in. Very simple, but it's important. That's how transformation starts, first with the unlearning and then with the, with, and then with the truth. So once you discover the absolute best way to live, you live that way, and it's such a relief. Amen? That's why you load the dishwasher the way you do. That's why you don't mix colors and whites. Yes? That's why you clean the way you clean. That's why you put on your pants that way so it doesn't throw out your back. That's why you pay attention to your kids the way you do, or communicate the way you do, or have courage in your confrontation, or you're quick to pray first, or you're quick to confess. It's just you've learned things about life, and once you've learned that that way leads to life, you don't let go. So what is John saying? He's saying this, we have found the logos, the absolute truth that leads to life, true, beautiful, everlasting, unimaginably wonderful life. And it's not an idea. It's a person. It's a person we've touched and we've seen and we've heard. And again, John doesn't leave any room for guessing. The logos that leads to life is, verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it. And testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Ta-da! Shazam! So let me point out a couple 50-pound words. Number one, fellowship. Our fellowship is our connection as the family of God, and it's only through Jesus. Y'all, we don't agree on politics. We don't agree on affinities for sports teams. That's for sure. <laughs> what binds us together is, is in love, is love for each other because Jesus has loved us first. Amen? Amen. Fellowship is the longing of every human being we want to be long. We want to be seen. We want to be known. That's why it's like lunch for ladies. Boom, 30 people show up, right? And all of them are clapping. Yes, let's go. More, more, more. Guys, put meat on a grill. They come out of the woodwork. I want to belong to that, right? This is what Jesus does for us. He created you. He knows you. He sees you. You are never alone, ever. 
Jesus is with you. And when his people are together, the bond that we have together is formed by Jesus himself. And what's the result? Well, it's joy. A couple years ago, a young woman named Linda was attempting to travel from Alberta, Canada to the Yukon. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's cold. It was in the fall. She was traveling uh, in her 1989 Honda Civic with 217,000 miles on it. If you know anything about driving in the snow, you don't drive in a front-wheel drive car uh, with no chains, right? You need something that's four-wheel drive. When she stopped for coffee at a diner in Alberta, she was trying to buy chains, and uh, the, the person selling her the chains was, was shocked. She said, you're going to try to travel in the Yukon and that, pointing at her car. And the guy who was behind her paying for his coffee, this rough-looking guy, goes, um, you seriously going to try and go to the Yukon in that Civic? She's like, yeah. Linda was young, <laughs> determined. Well, the rough-looking guy, I mean, this is like, you know, 6'1", kind of a not-shaven, burly dude, travels from Alberta to the Yukon all the time. He goes, well, at least let my friend and I give you a hug. The other guy stands up. He's just as rough and smelly as the first guy. And Linda took a big step back and goes, you're not touching me at all. And then this rough-looking guy starts chuckling, and he goes, ma'am, we're not going to touch you. We're truckers. We're going to hug you. And what that means is that my friend is going to travel in front, and I'm going to travel behind you, and we're going to clear the way. So Linda, in her 1989 Honda Civic with 217,000 miles on it, made it from Alberta, Canada to Yukon. Here's what the roads literally look like from Alberta to the Yukon. She was hugged by two people she didn't know, and the result for her was life and joy rather than death. This is Christian fellowship. We go before you. We go behind you. We're together on this road called life. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for us. Somebody say amen. Amen. So we do the same for each other. And what's the result? Read this with me loudly. We write this to make mm. Yes. Joy. Joy is the result. Think about every change for a dollar story you've ever heard. How do you feel? Joy. What's the result? When, if you've ever given away change for a dollar, you give it away, and how do you feel? Joy. This is Christian fellowship. With Jesus, with each other, it's just joy. The more that we bless each other, the more that we help each other, the more that we receive help, our joy just simply increases. So what gets in the way of joy? Well, John's about to tell us. Are you ready? Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's pretty self-explanatory. By the way, there's no evil in heaven. Did you know that? No darkness. Why? Because darkness is eliminated by light. Light pushes away the darkness. 
because God is all good and all loving and all merciful and all compassionate and all faithful. And I, as I say these things about God's character, all of us, I have no idea what I'm really talking about because you and I don't understand scale very well as humans. How many days is a million seconds? Anybody got a guess? One million seconds. How many days is that? Call it out. Nobody? You, there's no condemnation here for those who love Jesus, okay? How many, how many days is a million seconds? It's 11. 11 days is a million seconds. How, how many... How many days is a billion seconds? It's 31 years. So when we think about like a, when, you know, somebody says, well, I want to be a millionaire, and then we think about a billionaire, that's the difference between 11 days and 31 years, right? When we give $80 billion away to somebody, that's what that means. We have no idea how to comprehend scale as human beings. When we say that God you know, loves you times a million, and we go, wait, 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 no, times a billion, no, wait, wait, times a trillion. How many seconds a trillion, how many years a trillion seconds is? 31,000 years. Over 31,000 years. 31,724, I think. God doesn't just love you times a million or a billion or a trillion. He loves you beyond that. That's how big his mercy is. That's how big his faithfulness is. That's how big his compassion is for you. That's how big his love is for you. Like mercy is an idea until you see the tears running down the face of the one who is suffering in your place. Now you understand a little bit of mercy. Goodness is an idea until one day you look back and you start counting the cost of how much the people in your life has spent on you to get you where you are. And then you think, that's how much goodness costs. Whoa. Love is an emotion and an action that we can understand, but there will be a day when all of us enter into the gates of heaven and we are overwhelmed and astonished and just like, Tears and joy and dancing and laughter. And then the very next moment, we are fall on our knees and we all go, Jesus, you left this for me? You left all of your glory and all of the splendor of heaven and all of the riches of this to come into my hell for me? And you ask me to put my burdens on you and you ask me to take your yoke upon me and you ask me to trust you and I, and I did, I'd be like, nah. That's how fickle I was and you left all of heaven for me. Now you'll understand love. Then you'll understand love. Jesus loves you. There's no darkness in that. It's all light infinite light. This is our God. This is our Jesus. And there's no darkness in him, yet he willingly enters our darkness. There's no sin in him, 
yet he makes his home in our hearts, hearts that still entertain and pursue sin. That's our God. John continues. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus is in your heart and he lives in there, right? You've said yes to him and he's made his home in your heart. Yeah? Do you think he knows what's going on? There's still some of you that haven't answered the question. Do you literally think you can hide from him or pretend? So John says this. Again, this is what's getting in the way of our fellowship and our joy. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet, read this with me, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his sin, purifies us from sin. How much sin? How much? Oh, okay. You sure? Wait, there's not special sin that you're not purified from when you come to know Jesus, even if you're still making mistakes? Sure about that? Hmm, that's good. I love how straightforward John is. If you claim to love Jesus and know Jesus and have faith in Jesus, yet you're full bore pursuing darkness, it's pretty obvious that you're lying, right? The line is in your living. Let me put it in a way that you might understand. I can say that I'm happily married while constantly yelling at and controlling my spouse, but I'd be lying. Yes? Oh, I love my spouse. Be quiet. I'm happily married. Shh. Not today. I'm, I'm lying. And the line is in my living. Does that make sense? I can say I'm not mad. Oh, I don't struggle with anger at all. But every time my face relaxes, do you have that face? That resting mad face? Oh, wait, were you thinking of something different? That, that face where it's like, you know, your performance is done and then you're like, you can say, oh, I'm not mad. Mm. Yeah, you're lying. And the lying is in your living. I can say I'm not entitled, but every time I don't get my way, I get frustrated and irritated. Hmm. I'm lying. The lying is in my living. What's the alternative? John says, walk in the light. Walking in the light isn't being perfect. Ain't nobody perfect in this room. If you are, let us know, and we'll make a billion dollars writing a book about how you did it or how you fooled everybody thinking that you could. <laughs> Walking in the light is making the choice each day to pursue Jesus and be honest about the darkness in me so that I can bring the darkness into the light. Does that make sense? Yes. When you're honest about the darkness then the blood of Jesus can and will purify you from all sin. All of it, not just some of it, all of it. The word all there is another 50-pound word. You'll be purified from everything that's been done to you and everything that you've done. Does that make sense? Remember that 
that Jesus is all good and all loving, which means that Jesus isn't going to force you to be honest. Jesus isn't going to force you to confess every day. That has to be your choice. That's what John is saying. Walk. It's a choice. Make the choice and then do it. Then John gives us some hope. John describes how to walk in the light. Verse 8. You ready? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So when you say you're fine, you have full permission biblically to tell your spouse, liar. <laughs> Verse 9, right? By the way, when you're with your family, don't just say, how's your day, right? Say, tell me all the things, right? Not just the good stuff, not the performative things. Tell me all the things. Tell me everything that happened, good and the bad and the awful and the difficult and where you messed up and where you had, were gloriously victorious. So that way, as a family, you can start creating the environment where all of your darkness comes to the surface and all of it can be loved and forgiven and washed clean. Or you can keep on performing. See how that works, liar. Verse 9. <laughs> Ready? Let's read. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. So how is this possible? I don't know. Only by the blood of Jesus can my, the worst moments of my life be washed clean by me saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. This is what I did. This is what I thought. This is how I acted. There is hope beyond our brokenness. It's confessing our sin to Jesus and another person that we trust. John uses the word we, if we. Notice it's not if I alone in my room in the middle of the night so that no one ever finds out. If we, if we confess our sins, John uses the word we pronoun for a reason. You don't do this alone. I don't know if you know this, but when you're lost, You're lost. Like you ain't getting unlost by yourself because being by yourself is what got you lost. Know what I'm saying? Like there ain't no like fixing that. You just lost. So you need friends to come help find you. Because here's the thing. You think you came to church this morning and everything was great, and everybody that knows you goes, I wish they're listening right now. Please, please, Jesus, let them hear this right now. And you know what they're praying for you? Same thing. You know what you're praying for them? Same thing. Because everybody can see each other's stuff, right? But I think, oh, I'm fine. Liar. It's not how it works. You need people who love Jesus and can proclaim the truth of the gospel over you. In the books of Ephesians and Lamentations and Isaiah and here in John, the theme is the same about sin. When you have sin in your life, you're blind to it, you're lost, you're totally disoriented, and telling the truth about that reality is the journey of getting out. Does that make sense? Even Austin agrees. Okay? 
telling the truth about what you're thinking, about how you're feeling, about what you're doing, about what was done to you, about how that made you feel. It's the beginning of light shining into the darkness, and then a friend can proclaim the truth over you of the gospel, that you're more loved than you could ever dare to hope, that you're forgiven, that you're accepted, and that you belong. This doesn't happen once. It's not like, well, I did that in 1979. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> Happens, you need to do this every day. This is a daily thing. This is an ongoing thing. This is an everyday, all day thing. This is how your soul gets healed. Do you buy one Band-Aid at the store? <laughs> I went to the doctor once. Do you take one pill and everything's better? Do you buy one supplement, just a, a sup, just one? No, you take it every day. You do it every day. You do this all the time. Same thing with this. There's no condemnation during the struggle of this. The word Israel literally means in Hebrew, one who struggles with God. Okay, so God gets it. Again, he's in your heart. He's not surprised by the darkness. He's just asking you to bring it up to the light in conversation with him in prayer with another person so that you can get healed. So I've been struggling with entitlement for 25 years. This is this weekend, hot mess, right? Not good, okay? It's only this last year that my struggle with entitlement has been brought in front and center to my, in front of my face. Previous 24 years, I'm fine, no problems, entitlement, that's their problem, that's your problem, that's your problem, not me. This last year, oh no. <laughs> you know what I figured out this last weekend? That the thing that sets me off towards wanting my way, wanting my time, wanting what I want, when I want, how I want it, is the fear that I won't get what I want, or the fear that I won't have enough, or the fear that there won't be enough. And so that scarcity then launches me into this, this journey of entitlement. But guess what? Last summer, I was dealing with inadequacy. <laughs> and you know what? I'm like doing really good on inadequacy. Sure, it comes back time to time, but basically, I'm, I've experienced profound healing. That's what it looks like to bring things in from the darkness into the light I'm not 100% healed of everything, but it's getting better. Amen? Amen? I believe that I'm adequate to love you. I believe I'm adequate to love this church. I believe I'm adequate to, to do the things that I need to do to love my family well. And so guess what? I am, and it's going great. Yeah. In the confession, in walking, in the light, in bringing forth my darkness in conversation with others, fellowship happens and joy is increases. Think about it. What do you want most from the person sitting next to you right now? You want their soul to be healed, right? That's ultimately, that's what you want most for them. And if one day they were to come to you and say, I finally get it, and I'm sorry, or this is what has happened to me, and this is what's going on. Or I prayed and I talked to a friend and I feel like I'm getting healed. Your connection with them will grow, your fellowship will increase, and your joy will go through the roof. The dark places of your life, next slide, 
The dark places that, read this with me. The dark places of your life are not the places that disqualify you from love. They are the places where you experience the most love and the most hope from Jesus and his people. Amen? Okay, last thought for the day, and then we'll go have food. Okay, here it is. Are you ready? So if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us all righteousness. Yes? If we confess. Here's the thing about confession. It's going to happen all the time no matter what. Either I will confess my sins or I will confess your sins. (laughs) Confession is a rule. It's not an exception. We are people who confess. Does that make sense? So either I will confess my own stuff or I'll confess everybody else's stuff around me. When a church pursues confession, like they're doing in Ashbury College in Kentucky right now, nonstop revival is happening there, okay? When a church pursues confession, when you confess your own stuff, revival happens. The Holy Spirit falls in power. It's incredible. When you pursue confession and telling the truth about your darkness to your family, you will create a culture in your family where it's okay to talk about the things that you're struggling with, and then course corrections will happen faster. There will be no shame and condemnation in your family. When people struggle or have feelings that don't feel okay, They'll have practice because mom and dad or grandma and grandpa are willing to say, I struggle with that too. I'm not perfect. You want to mess up your family? Never confess your sins, only confess theirs. How many of us grew up in families like that? Stop it. (laughs) I wish that was so easy. If you refuse to confess, if a church never practices confessing their own sins, it just assumes we're right all the time, then as a church, what are we going to do? We're going to confess everybody else's sins. And as a church culture, what are we going to create? We're going to create a culture in which we go, look how messed up those people are. And then what we're going to we say to people who walk in the door? We're going to say to them, oh, yeah, Jesus can get you clean, but you need to take a shower first. I don't want to be that church, and praise God, we are not that church, but anybody who walks through this door, Jesus is the one and him alone who is going to cleanse them from all their sins, and you will have compassion on them, and you will love them as you confess your own. Amen? Amen? So confess and be forgiven. Be vulnerable. And experience joy. Jesus left heaven for you to come into your darkness so that your darkness can be healed. And as we do this together, what you're going to find out is that there's a lot of people who have gone before you and there's a lot of people behind you. You're being hugged all the time because that's what it means to be his church. Let's pray. God, thank you for baby Austin. God, thank you that as his parents hold him in their arms, just a little kid who's totally innocent, the Lord Jesus, that's what you've done for us. You have made us completely clean and innocent like a newborn. That as we confess our sins to you, 
and confess what's been done to us, that you will heal and renew and wash and forgive all of it. Lord, I pray for each person here and who's watching online, God, that a spirit of confession would be over us and our families. A spirit of repentance would be us over us and our families. A spirit of honesty and vulnerability and healing. And we ask nothing less, Lord Jesus, than you would send your Holy Spirit in revival here. We love you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. And all God's people said? Amen. You guys, we have such good food for you today. Would you stand for the benediction? Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, may his make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you. And give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's forgiven, beloved family said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.